the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. It is the Nick D Podcast. I'm your host, Nick DeGilio. This is the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, the best podcast network in the world. You should check out all of the varying and entertaining and funny and informative and dramatic and scary and awesome podcasts that are available here at Radio Misfits. Uh, Great stuff. It is episode 217 of the Nick D Podcast. How are you? And it is the first Tuesday of the month, the first Tuesday of February. Uh, and that means it's time for For the People. Um, every first episode of the month, we like to bring in our consumer experts. Um, we like to have an episode for you guys to dedicate for you, to help you to save money, to uh, give you advice on how to keep your money safe and pay your bills and not get screwed and not get tricked. Uh, There are a lot of people out there who are trying to take your money. There are a lot of scams that are happening, especially in the world of technology, especially in all kinds of businesses. And uh, we want you to be safe in the world of consumerism and in the world of cars. And in general, keep your money safe and keep you smart. And the ways we do that is we invite two of the smartest people that I know in the world that are here to help you, the people. And this is for the people. So we'll be joined by Herb Weisbaum. Herb Weisbaum. Works for Checkbook.org. He's an incredible writer, and he's been covering the consumer scene for decades. He is the consumer man, and he is to help here to help you not succumb to the scams uh, and keep your money safe, give you advice. We always have specific, incredible stories. If you have any questions for Herb about consumer issues or questions, if you think you're being scammed and you want the answers, you can always leave any of your questions to our experts for Herb in general. Uh, in specifically, and our voicemail, and that's 773-417-6948. We got a couple of voicemails we're going to play for Herb coming up, but if you have a specific question, you want to get some advice or help from Herb or any of our uh, experts on our For the People segments, 773-417-6948. You can email us to nickdpodcast at gmail.com. So the consumer man, Herb Weisbaum, is going to join us, and then the great Tom Appel is going to join us, our good buddy. He is a car guy. He is a car expert. He is the publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. They test drive cars. They tell you what's good. They tell you what's bad. They give you advice on the best things about cars and how to fix them and how to keep them running and all the new cars and the trends. Everything car-related, Tom can uh, cover for us, and he does. And again, questions for him, you can call our uh, voicemail as well. And we also talk about uh, wonderful TV stuff with him. He watches a lot of TV, and he does a thing called Star Spotter. We'll tell you all about that, and a mystery TV show as well. Tom Appel, our car guy, Herb Weisbaum, our consumer guy, they are here to help you because it's a For the People episode on the Nick D podcast, and that's why we're here. So that's what's coming up on the podcast today. You want to be a sponsor on this podcast? You should. Lots of people listen. You can be a sponsor. All you got to do to advertise with the Nick D podcast is drop a note saying, I would like to advertise 
on the Nick D podcast. Lots of people will hear it. Sales at radiomisfits.com. Get your ads in now. Again, voicemail us at 773-417-6948. Email us, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. Jason Skaggs does all the music and the themes and the transitions and the sounds. And the great Ed Silla does everything else at thegreatradiomisfits.com. You should also check out radiomisfits.live, which is a 24-hour streaming service which features great unheard music and great episodes of all the podcasts available at Radio Misfits. So bookmark it, radiomisfits.live. Take your time to share, rate, review us on every platform. Tell everybody about the Nick D Podcast and Radio Misfits. And it's time to help you because it's for the people. But you know who else is for the people? Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. Yeah, that's right. It's Carrie Russell. Hi, I'm Carrie yeah, Russell. Hi, Carrie. And I love Nick's show. She loves for the people. So let's get right to it. Herb Weissbaum is going to join us after you get congratulated. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh, yeah. Don't be a jagoff. Herb Weissbaum is the Consumer Man. Yes, he is your hero when it comes to consuming the Consumer Man. Oh, yes, Herb is your man. Yes, he is a superhero to all of us. He is the Consumer Man. He and he is Herb Weissbaum, and he joins us. For another edition of our monthly For the People podcast episodes. It's always the first Tuesday of every month, and it is the first Tuesday of February. And we are here, and we are going to talk about uh, all the consumer issues that you need to know about. Herb Weissbaum joins us right now. Hi, Herb. Hello there, Nick. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine, thank you. Getting over a terrible cold but uh, that my wife was nice enough to share with me. But uh, oh, now that we're moving forward... <laughs> Yeah. Don't you say know, she share doesn't. Everything. Don't share. She never gave you anything. So there you go. Exactly. There, there, exactly. There, there, but there, doing doing fine. Good. Well, welcome uh, to February, and uh, and uh, and uh, we, we're 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 slowly getting through 2024 as the new uh, consumer year begins. Tell everybody about uh, first of all checkbook.org, which is a lovely uh, organization and a website that you work with and for. Sure. Checkbook is a nonprofit that rates services in seven major cities across the country. We are a nonprofit, so we don't take any advertising. It's all, here's what we found. Here's what you need to know. The ratings are based on both subscribers in those cities, as well as the undercover work and our mystery shoppers that we use. I write general consumer stories for the website. We post a site a story every week in the consumer notebook section. And I also produce a bi-weekly, that would mean every other week, a podcast called Consumerpedia that I enjoy doing when I'm not on the Nick D podcast. There it is. And uh, you can check all of that out. You can go to checkbook.org. And uh, theconsumerman.com is sort of the, is a website where you have all, the, all of your stuff as well, correct? Real easy place to find everything that I'm up to. So you can either go to checkbook.org or consumerman.com. If you go to Consumerman, you can sign up for my free weekly newsletter and uh, you'll get uh, everything that I do, but uh, no ads and uh, don't share the mailing list. So you don't have to worry about that. 
So sign up for that newsletter. It'll be very, very cool for you. Consumerman.com. Get all that information. And uh, Herb, we've talked about this before. Just to remind everybody, how long have you been working the consumer beat and helping people out with their money? It's been a long for, time, correct? For more than 40 years. And we have a big anniversary coming up next time we talk in March. So we'll, we'll go into that more, but more than 40 years. It's Isn't been a amazing? really great uh, way to, to spend a career in, in helping people. And uh, by the way, I, I say this a lot, but we hear from people who are listening to your podcast all the time. So if you're trying to reach me, just go to the my website, consumerman.com, and click on the little mail icon. And if you have a question, I try to answer every one that comes in from your podcast. Yeah, and uh, and, and our uh, subscribers and listeners love you and uh, and and uh, love to ask questions and stuff like that. And by the way, if you have any questions uh, for Herb, you can go to uh, consumerman.com. Uh, Let them know that you listen to our podcast. Let that be known. And also, uh, you can leave voicemails here um, uh, at 773-417-6948 or any emails that you have with questions or comments, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. But that phone number for the voicemail, 773-417-6948. Herb, I have a very, uh, I have two, actually, uh, voicemails that I want to play for you. Okay, great. Uh, and, and they involve uh, one of your visits and uh, some of the wonderful information that you pass along to the listener. Um, and I have to say that these are, are two of my favorite voicemails that I've ever received since starting oh. this podcast two years ago. Um, wow. Okay. I'm on Yeah. It. They're, they're very entertaining. She is lovely and charming. The girl who leaves the message. Uh, and it's also the, the messages. And it's also uh, not only funny, but also says a lot about how much you help people and how much it, it, it sticks with them. Okay. Yeah, I'm all ears. Go ahead. Okay, so here it is. Here are uh, here's the first one. So this is uh, this is a voicemail that I. By the way, I received this voicemail um, at the end of December, um, but we recorded for January a little bit earlier, so I couldn't mm-hmm. play it. So okay. that's why I'm playing it now. So for the person who was the person who left these voicemails, it took a little while for me to play it on the air because we you know we only record once a month, and we just missed the deadline when I got this voicemail. So. Here it is. Ready? Are you ready, Herb? I am so ready. All right. Here we go. Hi. Uh, this, this is uh, one of your listeners. Um, I'm a college student. My name's Riley. But my dad is listening to the Nick DiGiulio podcast all the time, and I just happen to be there all the time <laughs> listening to it. And I was listening to the Consumer Man, Herb Wiseman episode where he was talking about, uh, like, these scam roofers coming door to door and, like, saying, oh, we'll do this like we'll check your roof out for free we noticed some damage we were just doing stuff in the area um and i was just listening to that episode and then to like five minutes ago this guy knocked on our door i happen to be the only one home and i opened the door and it's this guy and he says like word for word exactly what you guys were talking about what Herb was talking about that they'll tell you and i was like trying to hold back my outburst of laughing like I barely squeaked out. We're just not looking for roofing right now, and it was so funny. But uh, I just wanted to shout you guys out and say thank you so much for teaching me indirectly. This 22-year-old, <laughs> you probably didn't know you had listeners this young, but <laughs> anyways, thanks Herb and Nick for that information. Saved me some money. <laughs> Delightful. Well, just, I didn't know you had listeners that young either, but no, well, I mean, thank I, you I, for listening. And I love that she said that. 22 years old. I know right. you probably don't have listeners that young. So, so right. okay. Literally two minutes later, wow. this voicemail came in. Okay? Okay. 
Hey, Nick, it's Riley again from the last message I just sent you. I just forgot that I didn't mention it was a couple other red flags when he came to the door as a scanning roofer. <laughs> it's soaking wet because it's raining and pitch black out. So <laughs> I was like thinking in my head if I could have gone along with it and been like, uh, I mean, yeah, but aren't you going to like trip on our roof and break your neck or something? <laughs> But uh, anyways, that's just another fun fact. <laughs> All right, bye, Nick. Okay. So oh, it was Riley, pitch black. How devilish it was, of you. It was pitch black and raining. The guy couldn't even see the roof and he was offering <laughs> to go up. So anyway, uh, so first of all, a little recap on the roofing scams that happened and how awesome that, that those voicemails were from Riley. Uh, but anyway, uh, a little recap on what's happening. And, and you did help. You, you helped us, even though she called you her Weis, Weissman. Uh, <laughs> I get called that a lot. It's a combination of Weissbaum and Consumer Man. It's Weissman. So I yeah. think that, you know. Well, but yeah. you know what? It sounds like Weissman, so it sounds good. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm not arguing yeah. with that. Yeah. yeah. So, so, no, the, the scam we warned about was that, you know, there's just a knock on the door and somebody either says, oh, I was driving by noticing your roof has a problem, <laughs> yeah. or we're down uh, the street doing your neighbor's house. And we had these leftover materials, so we'll give you a break. You know, the answer is, well, if you're a good roofing company, why do you have leftover materials? Why don't you know how much you need to order? You <laughs> never, ever. Just have someone uh, fix your roof who shows up at your door and says, we, we need to fix your roof. We noticed a problem. So I don't care if it's a storm. I don't care if it's, you know, a hurricane and the, the, the uh, tree falls through your roof. Like, that's not the way it works. Those, that's how scammers work. They just show up and knock on your door. So, yeah. well, good for you, it, Riley. Thank and you. Riley was listening. And, and the, the thing that was so funny was that, like, what she said, in the, in, and you heard it, it was so funny, is that almost word for word, the guy was using that scam, almost word for word, what you said right. That yep. they would say at the door. Yep. Yeah. So, so that's, yeah. you know, way back when in my TV days, uh, I did a story about oil and gas leases and how they were making these things down great and what a scam they were. And following the broadcast, I got a call from someone and said, I can't, people actually use the phones back then. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I can't thank you enough. I had, I wrote a check for $10,000 and it's in the mailbox and I'm going to uh, grab it before it goes out the door and, you know, stop, and thank you. And somebody else called and said they're going to stop payment on the check. And, you know, thank you for saving us this money, which was incredibly rewarding. But as I point out when I make speeches today, in most cases in our digital world, there is no undo button. You can't go backwards when you do something. You know, they, you don't use a check now. We use a debit card in many cases or we wire the money or do something like that. So or we we give them their our social security number and hit uh, submit. It's gone. It's done. There's no mailbox to get the check out of and, and tear it up. So you really, you know, I think we've talked about this many, many times before in your show, but you really have to think and you really have to be careful in this digital world before you do anything because there really isn't an undo button. There are no mulligans in many cases if it's done digitally. Right. Well, well anyway, thank you, Riley, uh, for, for that. And thank you for being 22 years old and listening to the podcast, even though you were just hanging out with your dad and he just happened to have it on, but I'll take that. And anyway. Riley, when you, when you graduate from college, please call again and Nick will show up for your graduation with a pizza. <laughs> oh, is that right? Is that what I'm yeah. going to do? Okay. Sure. Why not? Right, what the hell? All right. Hopefully you're still doing the podcast in a couple of years. <laughs> I hope so too. I hope I'm still, uh, I'm still working as well. All right. All right. Well, anyway, uh, to get to uh, the, the, uh, the matters at hand and the more up-to-date stuff that you've been writing about and covering at the consumerman.com and a checkbook, Dot org. It's tax time, as we know. Um, it's funny because, 
You know, you go from uh, nonstop Halloween commercials to nonstop Christmas commercials now to nonstop tax commercials. That's how it works. <laughs> uh, tax season is, a, is, is here, and we've got until April you know, to put up with all of the pushing and all of the TV ads and everything like that. And we are, you know, if you don't have a guy that you go to or you do it yourself, you always have kind of questions and people want to know what's going on. What are the changes? How do we prepare for the tax return this year? And by the way, don't forget, in between all those ads, there's Tom Selleck all the time trying to sell you on a reverse mortgage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So don't forget, yeah. don't forget about that. Okay. Oh, my uh, God. Um, the good news is that for most taxpayers this year, there are no major changes this tax filing season that you have to worry about. There weren't any new credits or new deductions that were created by Congress. However, every year the IRS does modify, tweak about 60 tax code provisions. And Nick, that's basically done to uh, take into effect inflation because they want to give you a break by doing that. So that's what basically is happening this year. The, uh, the three big areas are that they changed the income thresholds for the seven different tax brackets. They set a higher standard deduction amount. And in a few cases where there are credits, they increased the credits. They basically adjusted things by about six and a half percent to account for higher than normal inflation. And they already announced that they're going to be doing an adjustment for next year when we file our taxes to account for the higher than normal inflation as well. So um, that's great news. A lot of people uh, rely on the standard deduction. About 90% of taxpayers take the standard deduction because it's a lot easier than keeping documentation and, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so you can just take that standard deduction and it'll be a lot higher than it was the year before. The For married couples filing jointly, it's $27,700. They bumped it up by $1,800 from the year before. Single taxpayers and married individuals filing separately went up $900. So it's now $13,850. And for heads of household, it's $20,800, up $1,400. So they did that. They also uh, bumped up the thresholds on the, as I said, on the tax brackets. Basically, that's to prevent something that's called bracket creep. If they didn't do this because you got a raise to make up for the, the cost of living raise to make up for higher inflation, you'd get bumped up to in a higher tax bracket. So you'd pay higher taxes. You'd find yourself probably behind the curve instead of getting ahead with the cost of living increase you got. So the IRS adjusts that to hopefully keep you in the same bracket. In some cases, some people might find themselves in a lower tax bracket and no lower taxes here. Unfortunately, in many cases, those will be people who didn't get a cost of living adjustment. So the good news is you're not going to pay more taxes. The bad news is you may not have gotten a raise to keep up with inflation, but they did that. So those are, and then some of the credits, they, they increase those just a little bit by the 6% as well to give, give you more money if you're filing for those credits. So those are the three big things to take into effect for this year. And how often do they, do they, do they change the, uh, the, 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 the deductions, uh, the standard? Uh, they change the, they modify these 60 factors every year. So they usually announce them in, a, in November, early December, and then it takes effect as soon as the, the year rolls around and the tax season starts. And is it, uh, is, I mean, in comparison to previous tax seasons when we, you know, uh, is this better? Is this worse for people? And especially, you know, a, a lot of things have obviously changed, you know, over the past few years, especially when COVID hit and we were getting all kinds mm -hmm. of, you know, all kinds of uh, breaks because of that and all kinds of changes because of the, you know, what, what that was doing to the economy and what, was, what that was doing to people's jobs and things like that. How much of that aftermath still continues? 
Uh, most of those, uh, most of that has ended. You know, Congress put it on for a short term. Uh, and they're the ones who add things to the tax code. So there's none of that uh, relief anymore for, for COVID. What we're dealing with now is back to where we were before COVID with the IRS adjusting every tax season for the inflation. And because inflation was running higher than normal, they bumped it up significantly, 6.5% for the current tax season. And we're expecting it to go up again already for next tax season. Okay. And what about the other... Uh other uh, tax credits because yeah, you, 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 there's a child tax credit and, and uh, adoption credits and things like that that people can. Yeah, there are there are a lot of credits that people can take. And it's a, it's something that a lot of folks miss. And it's really important because a tax credit is a dollar for dollar. You know, a deduction takes something lowers your adjusted gross income. But a, a, a credit is a dollar for dollar situation. So if you have a thousand dollar credit, you, it's like your thousand dollars, it's like comes right off the bill. And so they're really important, and it's especially designed to help lower and, and middle-income families. Uh, the child tax credit is one didn't change for this year, but the earned income tax credit, the maximum amount for filing taxpayers who have three or more qualifying kids, uh, is $7,430, $7,430. It uh, went up from $6,935 the year before. The adoption tax credit went up. Uh, the foreign income uh, exclusion uh, went up a little bit, and uh, people always worry about how much am I going to pay to Uncle Sam if I die. Uh, the basic exclusion from federal estate taxes, uh, the uh, state taxes is up to $12.9 million for someone who died in 2023. That's up $860,000 from 2022. So those are the big adjustments they made. Uh, there are a lot of numbers here. There are a lot of links that's in my story. If you go to Checkbook, we try to run down the numbers, put in charts, gave, give you the links to all the stuff on the IRS website because uh, I've, my head explodes when it comes to taxes. I have somebody does it for me because I yeah, can't me do too. math. I, no, I, know, I just can't. I have a guy. I've had a guy. So. That I've, been, I've been working with this guy since about 20, it'll be 25 years, actually, this wow. year. It'll be 25 yeah. years I've been working with the same dude. And uh, Right. Yeah, and you do answer questions about getting a refund because that's the thing that most people are, are, you know, are like, how do I get a refund? How quickly do I get a refund and, and things like that? And there are ways for people to get – a refund faster than they normally would, I would imagine, uh, by going through, I, I, you know, because you hear about these services, and what, how much of these are scams? Because you hear about services where, like, hey, you want to get your tax refund, you know, three months beforehand. Uh, what's, what, what, what's that? What are those things all about? They, yeah, you know, obviously well, too good to be true. Well, you don't need to go through anybody, anybody at all, in order to get your taxes done. Uh, and uh, you can get them just as quickly on your own. The quickest way to get your taxes, what a lot of these places are doing is they're giving you a loan. You are agreeing to a loan, so after they, right. they prepare your taxes, you're going to uh, get the money back right away, and then you're going to pay this loan fee to get that money You know, maybe a week or two before you get it on your own. But the bottom line is if you file electronically, which everybody should really do in this day and age because it's more secure, if you file electronically and get direct deposit into your account, if you're getting a refund, and if you're getting one, you want one as quickly as could be. The average, by the way, last year was $2,750, $2,750. So it's money that a lot of people are counting on. File electronically, get direct deposit. The IRS says if there are no problems with your return in 21 calendar days or less, you will have your money in your account. If you file a paper return, you're talking at least four weeks. So that's going to really slow the process down. So okay. that's what you want to do. Right? Okay. Get, you know, just get a direct deposit. You can divide it, by the way. It all doesn't have to go into one account. You can put a little in a savings account, a little in a checking account. Some people want to put in rechargeable cards, uh, debit kind of cards. There's a lot of options uh, that are available for people to get their money back. But uh, that's the, the really smart way to do it. For those who are claiming the two tax credits, the earned income tax credit and the additional child tax credit, the IRS by law cannot return any money 
till about February 27th. That's Congress set that up, and it was a, a move to prevent fraud from people claiming credits they didn't qualify mm -hmm. for. So mm -hmm. if you're claiming the EITC, the Earned Income Tax Credit, or the Additional Child Tax Credit, the ACTC, the IRS cannot start to issue those refunds until about the 27th of February. Just keep that in mind. Okay. All right. And all the information, by the way, with all kinds of links and details and stories, and even more so than what we covered here, it's all in, the, uh, in that piece about... Uh, um, about uh, what to expect uh, this year's tax return. Um, and you can check that out at checkbook.org for sure. And Just one more thing before we yeah. go. Yeah. Um, there's something brand new this year, and that's called Direct File. The IRS actually set up its own tax preparation system for people who want to use it. It's a pilot being done in 12 different states. This was a software program developed by the IRS for taxpayers. And it's the first option, basically, where you don't have to go through a third-party tax preparer. If you use their free file service, which is available on their website, IRS Free File, you're using one of eight commercial tax preparation companies that agreed to work with the IRS and do the federal tax return for free for people. They've also agreed they're not going to use this as a way to advertise to folks. But maybe you don't want to use a commercial tax preparation service. The IRS has this pilot program now called Direct File, where they did it all, and you work on the website with their software and their situations for lower middle income folks, people with very simple returns. They're trying it out as a pilot. And since your podcast is national, Nick, if you live in the following 12 states and you're interested, you might want to check it out. Arizona, California, Florida, Massachusetts, Nevada, New Hampshire, New York, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, my state of Washington and Wyoming. Just go to irs.gov and look for direct file. It will give you the information. And we were talking about IRS free file. That's having this done for free. Please, if you're looking for that, do not search or Google file my taxes for free. You have no idea mm. where you're going to wind up. Yeah. You want to go to, if you're looking for tax stuff, go to irs.gov. They have tools. They've got uh, t tutorials. They've got Q and A's. They've got uh, what the law says. They've got anything calculators. It's like anything you could possibly need. You will find on their website, irs.gov. That's where you want to start. Just don't be search engineering for whatever you're looking for. You have no idea where you're going to land. Yeah, there's and a, be lot a lot of con artists try to cash in on uh, yeah. tax time. A lot of stuff will pop up. Uh, yeah, tax time. This is when the guys come out from under the rocks, man. Uh, right. There's no, there's no question about it. <laughs> No question about it. Okay. And all the help that you need, it's there at checkbook.org. And the links and all that information is ready for you, as it always is. Um, and thanks to Herb. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes uh, people, uh, you know, have some issues with their bank account and they have to do the overdraft. And they get the overdraft fee every once in a while. Um, and uh, But there's like this rule now that would mm -hmm. limit excessive bank overdraft fees. So how does that work? I mean, if you, if you, if you take more money out than you have, you got to get a, you know, there's going to be a fee, correct? <laughs> well, it's a proposed rule and it's a costly fee. Not every bank charges overdraft fees anymore, but mm -hmm. it's a costly fee. Pop quiz for our listeners. What was the average overdraft fee in 2023, according to bankrate.com? Mm -hmm. No idea. <laughs> do you know, Nick? I do not. Twenty. $26.61, which is actually down just a touch. Uh, some banks are still charging $35 for an overdraft. And the funny part is, according to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the majority of overdrafts are made with a debit card, and they're for less than $26 and repaid within three days. So you're overdrafting by less than $26 and paying $26.61 on average, in some cases $35. This has been a really sore point 
with regulators and it's been a really sore point with customers who get dinged with these fees. The banks have always insisted that the overdraft fee is not a punishment. It's the cost of handling, giving you these little short-term loans to abide you over if you overdraw your account. Mm -hmm. So a couple of years ago, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau decided to do a study and look into this and find out how much it really is costing the banks to provide this service. Yeah, okay. And they found out it's, on average, something like about $8. It's not, nowhere near the $35 that some banks were charging, okay? Yeah, so yeah. this is an incredible revenue stream for a lot of banks in this country. They generated, are you sitting down? Yeah, I am. $280 billion since 2000 and nearly $9 billion in 2022, according to the CFPB. That is a lot of revenue from overdraft. So what they did is they proposed a rule. So it's a proposal stage, you know, it can go into effect possibly later this year in October uh, that they published last month. And it would drive down overdraft fees, capping them in some cases at just $3, which would wow. be a big uh, savings for a lot of people. So here's what's going on. I'm gonna, it's a le little legalistic, but I'm going to try to make it simple. Okay. An overdraft, if you look at it in the simplest terms, is the difference between the customer's de debit and the amount in their account. And the financial institutions are basically making a little short-term loan to cover the difference. And yet, due to a legal loophole created decades ago, the overdraft lending is exempt from the Truth in Lending Act, which covers all the other kind of things we do, like when we, you know, we take a loan because we did a, debit, a, a credit card transaction or take out a loan or something like that. So what the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is saying is banks and credit unions, we're going to give you two options with this rule when it takes effect. Option number one is if you make a profit from your overdraft service, you will have to give the consumer uh, an underwriting situation like any other loan you may give at the bank. It's subject to the Truth in Lending Act. They'd have to apply for the loan. You would have to determine the customer's ability to repay the loan. You'd have to provide... Uh, disclosures and the applicable interest rate to the consumer. In other words, it would be a royal pain, but you yeah. can do it. On the other hand, if you don't want to profit from the overdraft service, if you want to make it truly the courtesy that for so long you've claimed it is, then these law these loans would be exempt from the Truth in Lending Act the way they are right now, as long as that fees in line with the cost of providing that service. And the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau would set that cost at an established ben benchmark price for these institutions that would be somewhere between three and fourteen dollars. They're currently working on that now while the proposal's out there, people looking at it. But this would apply to financial institutions with more than ten billion dollars in assets. They say that would cover about one hundred seventy-five of the largest uh, in the country, and they're responsible for more than eighty percent of all overdraft charges each year in the United States. So this would have a big effect. And based on their analysis, that's the federal government's analysis, uh, about uh, 23 million households pay overdraft fees every year. And the CFPB says that it could save consumers $3.5 billion or more in fees per year or a potential savings of $150 for households that pay overdraft fees. So this could be very, very significant to help people who are living paycheck to paycheck, not winding up, going down a hole and getting deeper and deeper in debt. Yeah. 
Uh, it's interesting. I'm reading the article. I'm reading. I'm looking at your following along on the article here, and uh, an interesting statement President Biden made about it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my God! Banks call it a service. I call it exploitation. Is what Biden. Yeah, said and he about called them oh, exorbitant overdraft fees. I mean, the, and the same yeah. thing from the the this Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. They made no secret in making it clear that they think banks have been saying one thing and making a lot of money. You know, saying we're helping you, we're your friend, and on the other hand. You know, making a lot of money. The banks, of course, don't see it that way. Uh, we're expecting the possibility that they might decide to challenge the rule in court before, before it goes into effect in October. But uh, that's sort of where we are right now. And um, one other thing that I, I'd just like to point out is there are I got to give shout outs. And I don't know if you want to go into them at all, but they're in this article. There are a number of banks because this issue has been brewing for a couple of years and they could see the handwriting on the wall. Congress has been interested. President Biden has been interested. This regulatory agency has been interested that some banks already made changes. And I think they deserve a pat on the back. If I could just run down a few. Yeah, of them please do. Please so, do. Uh, you know, so uh, four of the country's largest banks have changed their overdraft policies in recent years. Capital One has eliminated all of its overdraft fees. For customers who enroll in their no f no fee overdraft service, it's nice. going to authorize and pay overdrafts at its discretion for certain transactions, such as automatic bill pays and recurring de debit card transactions with no fee. So it's up to them to uh, try to keep people from abusing it. But they're going to help. Bank of America dropped its overdraft fee from thirty five dollars to ten dollars. That's a wow. big difference, more Huge. in line with what the cost would be. Huge. Wells Fargo gives account holders a 24-hour grace period before they're charged an overdraft fee. And Chase doesn't charge customers its $34 overdraft fee if they're overdrawn by $50 or less at the end of the business day or if they're overdrawn by more than $50 and bring the account balance back to an overdrawn by $50 or less at the end of the next business day. Oh, wow, so in other okay. words, it's a little, le it's a little leeway. Yeah. Um, so on a, And a lot of online banks, uh, never like Ally Financial, um, never charged uh, overdraft fees at all. Uh, they pay higher interest rates, and they and they didn't have overdraft fees whatsoever. So clearly, uh, the, uh, the 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 industry is going to come to an end of this rule that takes effect. A uh, scenario is not going to happen. Banks can figure out a way to make money for different ways, and they don't have to charge exorbitant overdraft fees in order to to make a profit and make shareholders happy. Yeah. So you know that's uh, that's where we are. That's a great story. A great story, and and a, and, a, and a victory for some people. And uh, oh you know. yeah. And I, oh, and I want to leave with that one tip. So if you're in a situation where you're having a problem, talk to your bank, go into the branch or whatever, and see about linking a savings account with your checking account. So that way, if you should overdraw, money will automatically be moved from your savings account to your checking account to cover that transaction. The transfer fee is a lot lower than what it would be to pay the overdraft fee. And there's a movement underway to either eliminate those fees or to get the banks to drop them dramatically as well. But that's one thing to do. The other thing is a lot of people overdraw because of the use of debit cards and they don't keep track of their transactions, right. especially families like a husband and wife or whatever, partners who have the same debit card linked to the same account and one's right. doing this and one's doing that and nobody right. really knows what's yep. going on. Yep. Keep in mind, that if in, in most cases, not every bank, but in most cases, if you told the bank and signed up for their overdraft protection, what that means is that if you use your debit card at a point of sale and you're going to overdraw that account, they're going to let the transaction go through and you're going to pay for it. If you had declined the overdraft protection service, which I believe is a smart way to go, so you don't wind up paying $35 for a $4 latte, right. that, that if you don't have the money in your account, the 
transaction will be declined at the point of purchase. That's why people say they use debit cards, that they can't spend more money than they have. Well, if you don't have enough money in the account to cover that latte, you shouldn't buy the latte. And you shouldn't get yourself in a situation where you have this overdraft protection service. You pay the latte and then it's four bucks plus thirty five dollars. So if you're not sure and a lot of people are confused about this, even though the banks are required to give you paperwork, if you're not sure, go to your bank or call it up and say, hi, what would happen if I made a debit card transaction and I didn't have enough money in my checking account to cover it? Would it be declined or would you would it be allowed and would I pay a fee? Whatever is right for you, you decide. But you should know what it's going to be, not find out after the fact. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. All right. Uh, you know, I always thought that overdraft fees were, I, you know, the, you mentioned it early in the conversation, that they were punishment. It always seems like to me it was like, oh, there you yes. go. You know, that's what yeah. it seems like to me. You get a little card in the mail that says, that, and, and when I was going through my financial uh, uh, instability there for a while, I got a few of those cards in the mail. They're not mm-hmm. pleasant. And they would be, yes, you've been charged this much and blah, blah, blah. So, And it may not just be a one-time charge. They may charge you every day. I mean, this this can really build up uh, and really hurt people who are in trouble. And I think this, if this goes through, this is dramatically going to help a lot of people who, as I said, are living on the edge paycheck to paycheck. So I hope everything happens. Great news. Great news. All right. Now, we are early in the year. It's February. Um, and, you know, right around everybody makes their uh, their New Year's resolutions. And part of those New Year's resolutions are so many people want to lose weight, they want to eat better, and they want to get in shape, which means that they're going to join a gym. And how many mm-hmm. people in, you know, the new year join the gyms? I know that the gyms are extraordinarily, you know, popular and they're, you know, there's people everywhere and people are like, I'm going to get in shape. And, and uh, you know, by March or April, it's like, eh, it drops off a little bit. But a lot of people are still interested in, you know, getting a gym membership and starting that uh, that New Year's resolution. Uh, and you talk a little bit about you got an article here of, about uh, what you should do when you get a gym membership and how you should how should how you should be smart about it. Yeah, and that's why you still are seeing the ads for the gyms. You know, get yourself back in shape for the new yeah. year. That's this is a big year when they run all that stuff. Absolutely. So. We, we went around, our mystery shoppers went around in the seven cities where we do uh, ratings and everything to find out how much it would cost to join for 90 days. We did it for a single person with full access to all the facilities. And okay. prices range, and obviously it's going to be different in different cities, but prices range from 75 to about $400 for a normal fitness center and 500 to 4900 for the fancy athletic clubs. Just to give you a picture in your mind, you know, some people might go, oh, every gym is sort of about the same. No, every gym isn't sort of about the same. And the price ranges is really, really greatly. And so the number one is you got to, if you're going to look around, you got to shop around and try to get the best price. And before I forget, and I'll give this again, uh, we rated gyms in our seven cities. And for those listeners who are in those seven cities, uh, if you go to checkbook.org slash Nick D podcast, you will get a three a 30-day free trial to Checkbooks Ratings, and you can check out everything, including the gym ratings that are in your area. And um, I suggest you do it. There's no strings attached. We won't bother you. You don't have to join. We'd love you to join if you're in those cities. But mm-hmm. if you want to do that, checkbook.org slash Podcast. I'll give that again. But you can actually get those ratings. We're in, I always forget, but I look at the map, San Francisco, Seattle, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Chicago, Boston, Philadelphia and Washington DC. Hey, I got them all. Okay, you got get the boy a cigar. You got yeah. it. So, but the clear point we're trying to make here is that you really have to like ask yourself what you want, what you're looking for, and then the, about the facilities. And we we gave a couple of questions. You want me to run down like some of the things you should ask? Sure, yourself? of course, absolutely. We, we 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 broke it down into six. 
So first of all, is the location convenient? You know, if the place isn't easy to reach, if it's not either where you work, if you still go to the office and are going to do it on the way to work or the way home or near your house, um, chances are you're not going to use it. It's just going to give you an excuse not to use it. Is it open when you need it? I know that sounds kind of obvious, but you know, check for the facility if it's going to be open. If you're like, you get up real early to go to work, is it going to be open then? Or how late at night does it offer the classes you're you know, looking for at the time of day that would work for you, that sort of thing? Does it have the facilities and amenities you want? Do you really want a pool? Do you really need a tennis court or something like that? You've got to make sure it has the, the kind of things you're looking for. What about classes? Are you planning to take classes or activity? Do you want to do yoga or something like that? Do they offer those classes or, and are they available for you to, to sign up for them? Child care for some people is important. If that is, does it offer child care if you need it? And finally, this is a big one. Is the atmosphere right for you? I know when I was looking for, for joining a gym years ago, I now, during the pandemic, I put one in my house so I could stay safe. But, um, you know, is it is it a pickup joint? Is that what you're looking for? Yeah. Is it uh, something where it's all ritzy and really fancy and they have takeout meals and dry cleaning service? You're looking for a place where it's just like, you know, a lot of grunts that are there just lifting weights. Does it have a lot of different machines? You know, what are you looking for out of your gym? And then go in person. You know, we suggest here that try it before you buy it. You know, go to the place and try it. A lot of gyms will give you a free pass or some of them will give you a, a limited membership for a couple of weeks that you can try it out before you have to make any kind of commitment. Go there. Go when you'd normally go there and look around. How crowded is it? Are the machines working? What are the locker rooms like? Is it clean? Um, take a class if a class is important to you. How, do you like the instructor? What it's like? Do the people teaching you how to work the machines? Are they nice? Do they seem to know what they're talking about? This is the way to know whether you're going to use the place. Two of the biggest complaints we get, Nick, a checkbook are the place is dirty. It's not kept up. It's not clean. Locker rooms are stinky, et cetera, et cetera. And the equipment doesn't work. Uh, you, you just is broken or there's not enough equipment and I can never get on the equipment when I need it. I have to stand in line for 10 minutes to get on the stuff I need. So right. that's the kind of stuff to look for. And then make a short term commitment if you possibly can and check it out, see what it's like. And then you can make your, your decision because as we point out, so many people have good intentions. As you said, they join the gym and by March, the place is thinned out yeah. and, and because they have an ongoing subscription, they tell themselves, I know I'm going to go. I know I'm going to go. And they keep paying this fee month after month when there's, they're not going and the gyms are making money off of people who aren't there. And that's just a total waste of money. It's not helping you get fit. It's uh, helping you lose money in your wallet. Yeah. And there are ways of, of getting into shape where you don't necessarily have to go to a gym. And you talk a little, yes. bit, talk a little bit about that as well, where it's like, hey, yeah. if you don't want to spend the money, you don't have the money. Um, or the time to, you know, do all the research and check out the gyms firsthand. There are ways where you can get into shape where you don't necessarily have to go to a gym. That'll save you money too. Yeah, you can jog. You can do all kinds of things. You know, playing golf, you can do all kinds of things. Uh, you may be able to get a low-priced place. What about the Y near you? Does your mm -hmm. employer, if you're working, does your employer pay uh, the fee for gyms near you? A lot of employers pay that. What about your insurance company? Some insurance companies now will help you if you go to the gym. Medicare Advantage programs for the uh, listeners who are a little older than Riley, uh, <laughs> like me, uh, they will they will help you pay the, 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 some of these things. AARP, there's a lot of programs. There's a lot of ways that you shouldn't have to pay the retail price. And speaking of price, keep in mind that with as with any other marketing thing, they'll have a lot of 
fake bogus prices like our normal normal rate is this but we're going to give it to you for only this keep in mind that in many cases the normal price is never charged and you have to figure out if the price they're offering you is a good price and works for you and not get sold on the wow i'm saving 60 percent by signing up today because it may not really be that you're saving the 60 percent the yeah. one key thing and this is where people get into trouble is when you're signing the contract so when you're in that room you decided you want to join this place eventually and you're signing the contract you need to see some of the things that are in there remember contracts are usually written to their benefit not to yours so besides just how long it is and what the price is how are you going to pay uh many will let you pay monthly via automatic checking account or a debit card or credit card and allow you to quit when you want uh i would be very uh what's the word i'm looking for i would be hesitant to let uh, a company especially a gym take money out of my checking account every month because yeah. we've had horror stories that when you quit they say you really didn't quit they, or that you did quit and they keep taking money out of your checking account. I just don't like that at all. I would pay with a credit card if at all possible. Just pay with that and you have the protection of a credit card. Uh, the other thing that you want to find out is about cancellation. Speaking of, you know, the fact that so many people do stop doing it. Well, see, that's a big one. That's a big one, yes. you know. And freeze. So uh, you have to put your uh, membership on hold. So what are my cancellation rights? How do I cancel? We've reported on horror stories where some people were able to, uh, you know, sign up and do all the paperwork online or whatever. And then you literally had to come down to the gym to cancel so they could talk you into staying. So how do I cancel mm -hmm. if I decide I want to cancel? And can I put this on a freeze on a hold for a while, not having to pay my membership fee? Uh, for instance, if I get hurt, or if I get sick or pregnant or there's a temporary job location or something like that. You need to find out those two things. How do I cancel and what is the, the rights to a freeze? And finally, because salespeople make a whole lot of promises, anything they promise you, anything, put it in writing. It needs to be in the contract. If they told you we're going to break ground on a new lap pull in a couple of months, put it in writing. There's going to mm. be... If they say we're going to have all brand new uh, weightlifting equipment put in here uh, by the spring, have it put in there. Anything they say, it's got to be written down or it's absolutely meaningless because as with most contracts, there's a clause in there that says all verbal promises do not count. If it's not in writing, it does not count. So that's what you have to figure out. Okay. All right. Uh, great advice. Great advice. And a lot of people are doing it too because it's the beginning of the year. So, uh, and, uh, you know, people forget too. You know, you forget, oh, yeah, I forgot to go. I still, I'm still paying that off. And speaking of forgetting, this is segue into the next uh Oh, that was good, Nick. Topic. Was, you was... see? Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, I, won, I, won, I, won, I won some radio awards in the past. That's why I can, because <laughs> I can yeah. segue. Yeah. Um, you know, we all have these digital subscriptions. We've talked about this before. You subscribe to something. It's part of the, you know, you get, you know, uh, you got, you got your, you know, your, your streaming services, you get your music services and all that stuff. And they're cheap and whatever. And they're all over your phone. And you got apps all over the place. But you forget sometimes. And then some of the subscription services you, do, you just don't use anymore. Mm -hmm. And you guys have advice. You want to save money. You know, you wrote a piece about auditing your digital subscription. So it takes a little time, but you got to sift through them and go back and go, oh, man, I'm not using this. I'm not using that. What are some of the tips that you have and advice that you have for, for keeping, a, keeping an eye on these digital subscriptions that you could lose track of easily? Well, this was a story I wrote a couple of years ago. I decided to update it to see where we were because so many people have been talking about the subscription prices and that sort of thing. Yeah. So here's the latest figure. In 2022, the U.S. consumers spent more than $34 billion on digital home entertainment, according to Statista, which is a website that specializes in this data, $34 billion. 
And it's not just streaming video, it's streaming audio. We have all kinds of subscriptions. Maybe you have a subscription to a financial uh, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I have a subscription to uh, a VPN. Uh, I have a subscription to a, a, a service that gives me pictures for my website. I mean, there's all these subscriptions that we signed up for that automatically renew. And it's kind of hard to stop and keep track of them and how much we're paying. Yeah. And it's really easy. They get you on, you take the free trial maybe, and then the free trial ends. And then all of a sudden you're automatically signed up at this price. Yeah. So if you want to, you got to do what we call a, a, you know, a subscription audit, go through and figure out what you have. Look at your checkbook or look at your uh, statement from your bank. Look at your credit card statement and see, oh, my goodness, look, at. do I really need seven video streaming services or would it be better to, uh, you know, do the one or two I'm focusing on, cancel the others? There's no penalty for canceling. And then if I decide there's some amazing uh, series on Hulu or an amazing show on Netflix that I want to see, I'll sign up for them and get rid of the other two for a while or whatever. But, you know, nobody can watch realistically watch in some cases all the streaming services they have now we've signed up for them all during the pandemic in many cases the prices have gone up in yep. many cases you have to pay significantly higher like twice as much if you don't want the commercials which was the whole reason why people signed up for streaming in the first place exactly that whole right. you know that i don't know if you heard but they're now going to be for amazon prime members there's now going to be commercials yep. in the basic then if you want to not commercials you got to pay a higher price i mean yep. that's the whole business model is completely changing. So it's it's really, really important. And if you do sign up for that free trial, then mark it down in your calendar the week before. And it's, hey, I got the I got a decision here. Am I going to keep this service or am I going to get rid of it? Because my 30 day free trial is up. I better figure something out. So, you know, that's that's the basically the the tip for here is it's it, it could probably save you a significant amount of money if you if you get rid of the ones that you have that you have absolutely no need for whatsoever. You talk a little bit about some of the companies that uh, that aren't as friendly as others, but you do give kudos to a few. One of them being Netflix. Yeah, um, my uh, my boss, our editor Kevin Brasser, wanted to give a shout out to Netflix, and I, and I think they deserve it. Uh, the company updated its subscription renewal policy back in 2020, so it now contacts customers who haven't used the streaming service for 12 months or more to find out if they want to keep their membership. If they don't respond, yeah. Netflix will automatically cancel their subscriptions. If half of a mistake, you could always sign up again. But they're you know they track every single thing we do, and they're going to use this now to help their subscribers. Saying if you haven't watched for twelve months or more, maybe you forgot you had this thing. Maybe something happened in the household. We're going to just disconnect this if we don't hear back from you and stop charging you that money because you're obviously not using our service. I think that deserves a big shout out and is totally untypical of what most businesses in America are doing today. Yeah, true. Very cool. But check your check it out and check out all the apps that you have on your phone, too, because be like, wait a minute, what am I? Oh. What? I'm not I, using this. I don't even recognize what this logo is. What the hell is this app? You know, they, those exactly. Exactly. So get rid and of then, you know, and another thing is related to this is that's why I have a concern with people who use auto pay to pay all their bills. You know, if you, a lot of people who are doing auto pay don't check the bills and you don't really realize where all the money's going. I mean, it's one thing to have the bill paid automatically, these bills, but maybe make sure you check your statement at the end of the month from your credit card or your bank and find out where all the money's gone. I mean, that's how you lose track of all this stuff. Yeah. You sign up, it goes on automatic subscription, and then you don't check it because it's automatically paid. Uh, that's that's getting into a real that's not how you keep a good uh handle on your purse you gotta you gotta know where the money's gone that's you know true. you want to know what's coming in you want to know what's going out so that's absolutely true those are all great uh all, all great pieces of advice and all great stuff that you can check out at the consumerman.com or at checkbook.org 
Uh, Herb, what are you working on for uh, for March that we're going to be chatting about? Anything uh, anything big or anything that we can look forward to? Um, yes, I'm going to talk. We're going to be talking about um, uh, emergency savings funds. The new figures are out on how little Americans have, and we're going to be talking about a rule that the Federal Trade Commission proposed to clean up car sales, and that the industry is already suing to block. Uh, that's kind of interesting that uh, they don't want these rules to prevent them from doing potentially deceptive practices. So we'll talk about that. And I just want to do a quick shout out, if I could. My latest podcast, Consumerpedia, yeah. just went up and it talks about the right to repair, fixing your own equipment, which a lot of manufacturers are going out of their way to keep you from fixing things by making it hard to fix proprietary parts. But the one thing that was in that podcast, and I hope you'll listen to it, is that we're finding this more and more, that companies are trying to stop you from doing your own repairs, in some cases for cars, oil changes, by saying that if you do something on your own, you will null and void the warranty. That is absolutely illegal huh. and a huh. lie. The Magnuson Moss Warranty Act, passed back in the 70s, says that it is illegal to require you to use a manufacturer part or service in order to maintain a warranty. Keep mm -hmm. that in mind if anybody tells you that if you do it yourself or have an independent repair shop do something on anything, your refrigerator, your dishwasher, your car, your smartphone, your laptop, that you will null and void the warranty. That is a lie and is against the law for them to say that. It cannot null and void your warranty by doing that. Now, if you break it or the repair shop breaks it when they're tiddling around with it, that's your problem. Yeah. But it does not null and void your warranty. That's a threat that's used to get people to pay higher prices to get an authorized service center or a manufacturer to fix their stuff. Keep that in mind. But okay. the whole story is on consumerpedia.org. And make sure you check out that podcast. All right, Herb, always a pleasure, my friend, and we'll talk to you in March. Take care, Nick. Be well. All right, buddy. Take care. There you go. Herb Weissbaum, he's the best. You know who else is the best and knows everything you know, want to know ever about cars? Tom Appel, and here he is. Tom Appel. We're going to talk about cars, Tom Appel. Ooh, automotive with Tom. And his last name, Appel. Oh. It's the czar of car, the sulfate of cylinder, Tom Appel. Appel. <laughs> the great Jason Skaggs. Uh, who not only does all the voiceover work, who does all the weird sound effects and the laughs and the yeah-mans and all that stuff. He is a great musician and composer, uh, and he composes and performs all of the music that you hear and the theme songs that you hear for our great regular guests. And as part of For the People, we now welcome, from Consumer Guide Automotive, Tom Appel. Hi, Tom. Hey. How are you, I'm, Nick? I'm okay. How are you? I'm good. Always good to always good to hear from you. Um, you know, uh, we will talk about uh, cars and uh, consumer guide automotive and all that stuff. But before we get to that, um, what was driving like when we had that freeze for a little while? Because it's always interesting. Because we got we got nailed with a bunch of snow, and then we got nailed with incredible sub zero temperatures that lasted about a week, and now it's fifty. <laughs> so, yeah. So. But what were you driving, and what was it like during that weird weather challenge situation for drivers, for you? What were you driving, and tell me a little bit about it. Normally, when bad weather hits, I'm fortunate enough to be in something incredibly capable, but that did not happen this time. Oh, no. And, and, and there was that thing that happens, and it happens in Chicago, you know, three years out of four, where there is a sheet of ice, where, like, an area of Chicago is covered in a sheet of ice, including yeah. the roads. And yeah. I dealt with that out here in Palatine, Palatine, Illinois, and and uh, it was incredibly awful. And and the thing about that was on main streets, enough car drives, enough cars drive over the road, there's salt and everything, not a problem. But getting to those streets is it was was treacherous. I was driving 
a very nice car, the 2024 Nissan Sentra, but it's just a front-wheel drive car, nothing special about it, no special tires. And and getting to the highway, getting to Northwest Highway from my house was really ugly that morning. Um, it was just crazy, and, and, and a lot of Chicago's, Chicagoans experience that. And it's that awful thing that happens where if you don't have to go to work, maybe don't. Yeah, it's it's you're just safer sitting in your house. Were there other people out on the road? And what was it? I mean, obviously, it was treacherous and kind of scary to drive, especially when you're driving a car that doesn't have the all wheel drive or the special tires or anything like that. Um, what, what were there other people out on the road? What was the what was the driving situation like uh, out there with other drivers? Yeah, I'm really close to Northwest Highway, and once I hit that, everything was fine. Enough traffic had been moving on the road that the road had warmed up a little bit, and the ice had been, you know, crushed down or, or, yeah. or just driven over and warmed up. So not a problem, but side streets were bad, and I'm sure a lot of people just drove into garbage cans in other cars yeah. Yeah, that yeah. day. Yeah, it was it, Now, with all, the, with all the technology now in the newer cars and the 2023 models, 2024 models and things like that, is the, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, you and I are the same age. We grew up in Chicago. We've been through a lot of crazy winters and all the blizzards, the blizzard of 79 yeah. and all they're getting the, you know, the, the, the polar vortex and, the, and all that stuff. And we got it blasted with some snow. We got blasted with some really sub-zero temperatures. And over the years, it's always like, I got to go out and start my car, let it run for a little while. Or I got to do, you know, back in the old days when you'd go out, start the car, let it run a little while. Do the newer models require that? I mean, do cars still need to be warmed up? And what's the uh, the actual facts and myths about warming up your car, starting your car in cold weather? Yeah, there's a lot a lot of facts and myths about that. And, and the deal is you don't need to warm up your car for very long. And on an extremely cold day, if you're thinking about it, and if you give it a minute, that's a great thing to do. But the good news is that most cars now are, are machined to such a precision point and that most cars use synthetic oil that the motor's not going to be hurt to any serious degree by just taking off and, and just starting and taking off now if you want it warm and a lot of people do that they will let their car sit for a while no real damage there but you're using gas it's not good for the environment but a car will idle too just fine okay well it's interesting because that, when, when did it become like what model car what year are we talking about when it didn't require maybe going out and starting. Because you remember you go out there and if it's oh, like yeah. 20 below out, you've got nothing. Your car is not going anywhere. It's not starting, and it might not start again until it gets to be 45 degrees outside. Where, When did the technology and when did the engines and uh, people putting the cars together, around what year did it, did, did it become you know, uh, not important to get out there and start your car and warm it up for a while? During the 90s. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Engine technology just got into a place and machining and, and, you know, surfacing of things like pistons and cylinder walls just got to a point where it wasn't necessary. And the quality of motor oil got just so much better. Mm. So I remember I had a uh, uh, family had a 74 Plymouth Valiant, which was <laughs> durable, durable yeah. beyond all expectations, but would not start in the winter. And yeah. I don't know how many people remember popping their hood and using starting fluid. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It smelled, yeah. smelled like ether because it yep. was ether. Yeah. And absolutely. If if you owned a Plymouth with a 225 or any Chrysler product with the Slant 6, the 225 Slant 6, that's just a thing you did in the winter when it was under freezing. Yeah. You popped the hood and you sprayed starting fluid into the God, engine. I totally remember doing that. I totally <laughs> remember doing that. And, uh, yeah, it smelled. You get nice and high. Then you get yeah. behind the wheel and you're drunk. That's That's fantastic. It is yeah. a crazy collection of smells. There was the smell of too much gas in the in the carburetor. The car, you know, was 
Yeah. What is the vapor lock and then and then rich gas burning out the exhaust and ether everywhere? <laughs> Kid, kids today's don't don't know. They that don't smell. know. They don't know. What were some of the other crazy stuff that was that we would do to get cars going or keep cars running? I mean, dangerous stuff, you know. Uh, back in the day, I mean, you worked on cars and you were you were a mechanic for a while and and worked on stuff. Are, are there any quick fixes or crazy shit that people that would do to their cars where today you'd be, I cannot, be, like, like spraying ether all over a car or, you know, or, or starting fluid all over a car. Nobody would imagine doing that today. Are, are there other things that we would do, quick fixes, crazy stuff that, that, that you can't believe we got away with back in those days? One of the crazy things, and this is apocryphal, and I don't know how much of this was exactly true, but in those days, too, we, we jump-started a lot of cars, right? Oh, yeah. Cars, yeah, yeah. cars are hard to start, and if you cranked it too much, the battery just died, especially if it was down around zero. And, and the crazy thing was, and I never saw this happen, and I need to go online and just dig into this, but it was understood that if your battery was in bad condition, and that meant that... that the uh, the liquid inside the battery had started to evaporate through the vents, and you would see it with, with a white formation around the top of the battery. Right. That it was it was in a position to possibly explode when it was right. jumped. Right. And now this never happened to anyone I know, but we would look we would just jumpstart the nastiest looking batteries. And it, some some self preservation instinct should have kicked in and told us maybe maybe buy a new battery, but we didn't. No, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean the crazy stuff that would that we would do, like in the world in general, you know. But like with cars, like charging the do now. Okay, here's the question: uh, with the new models or anything like that, are 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 jumper cables obsolete now? Do people not need them? Uh, do people still carry them in their trunks or in their back in their in their attachments or anything like that? Yes, and I bought my daughter jumper cables because I'm that kind of dad. But the th- <laughs> yeah. And I taught her how to use them. But the thing yeah. about jumper cables now is that a lot of cars don't necessarily have the battery under the hood. Um, and so you want to, before you get into that situation, know how to jumpstart your car. Oh, no, well, this is, this is interesting. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, for people who don't know, like, where is the battery? How do you, if you need to jumpstart your car, do you? How do you do it now? That's crazy. Yeah, so like the Mazda Miata famously, and this is not for the same reason, has the battery under the driver's seat. And that's just a weight distribution thing. But for a lot of cases, a lot of cars, it's a question of packaging. So instead, normally, there are jump points that are under the car that you can attach to just like attaching to a battery. They're, they're sort of surrogates for getting to the battery connectors. But you want to like open your owner's manual, go to YouTube, and just figure out where those are at before you need them. Yeah. Wow, that's so crazy. But yeah, back in the day... It is a little day- weird. Back in the day, you would you would you would ground one like on the you know like in the metal part of the underneath the the uh, underneath the hood, uh-huh. you know like you would put one clip. Somebody would put one clip on the ground. They would ground it on metal, you know, and then put it on on uh, on. The, but you know like and then you had to go to negative to positive. <laughs> Back in the day, and then clear off all the crap that was on the. That was on the battery, you know, like uh, all the, all the- <laughs> that was that was a huge problem. That white crap that would build yeah. up on the on the uh, the anodes on the battery, and yeah. that was the stuff also that indicated maybe you didn't want to do this, but we did it. <laughs> Scrape all that crap off, and boom, <laughs> sparks would fly, you know, and uh, yeah, I, yeah. So jumping, yeah, you don't you don't see that. I remember back when I was you know years ago. Uh, driving around all the way through, you know, like obviously 60s, 60s, 70s, 80s, even into the early 90s, you would see on the side of the road jumper people, you know, face to face, hood to hood, 
hooked up by those jumper cables, by those fantastic jumper cables. And yeah, you don't see that uh, uh, very often, if ever, anymore. You don't, and, and, and that's good news, I guess. Batteries are better than they used to be, which is nice. They're not quite as affected by the cold. Uh, but eventually, like just a, just a piece of advice. If you're going into your fourth winter, think about replacing your battery. Now, okay, that's a, that's. A, I was just going to ask that in modern in modern vehicles. Obviously, you know, you know, back in the old days, you know, you'd you'd hold on to a battery as long as you, as long as you right. Poison did, was yeah. poison was oozing out of it. There was white shit all over the top of it, but you still kept it in your car. What is the? What did you say? Four? Is it four years? Then is that the that when you should replace your battery? Even in a even in like a like a modern vehicle. Yeah, batteries actually have a really hard life, and they got better than they ever used to be, the lead-acid batteries under the hood of a new car. But the, but the problem with them is that, is that they work hard. There's all sorts of things that draw from them, even when the car is off now. And, and just three winters is a lot to ask of a battery. Now, yeah. when you buy a replacement battery, you can buy a five-year battery. They sell those, and, and that's a great thing to do for peace of mind. Uh, but, but if you just don't want to deal with the hassles, and it might seem a little wasteful, but it's probably not, after three winters, consider replacing the battery. You know, I don't see a lot of commercials for car batteries anymore. Remember there used to be commercials all the time for I, car I do. batteries? When I, I did. Yeah, I don't see them. Am I am I nuts or am I missing them? Are I mean, is there a is there a true lack of car battery commercials now? I think that because like you can buy batteries now at Jiffy Lube, and I think that that's where the sales are. I think it's more point yeah. of purchase. Yeah. When I was uh, a youngster working at a gas station, we had, and I never heard Paul Harvey uh, ever <laughs> in those days. But Paul <laughs> Harvey was was a major. Uh, sponsor or, or, or Interstate Batteries was a major sponsor of, of Paul Harvey show. And we had these huge posters of Paul Harvey in front of a battery. <laughs> I had no idea what was going on. And, right, and you didn't know who the old, who's this yeah. weird old dude? Who's this weird old dude? Uh, yeah, that's what, he was old in '85. I just oh uh, no, yeah, he was old when he was 20. He was old. That was yeah, uh, that was just the way he's that yeah. guy. So he did. He was like, get a new battery, and that's the rest of the story. Did he do? Was that was it? <laughs> Did he do that? Uh, now, what were some of the more popular car batteries, the brand names? I'm trying to think now. Uh, um, well, Interstate was, was one. And then there was, yeah. uh, this was associated with Sears, I believe, was Die Hard. Yeah, Die Hard. That's it. That's right. And they actually, at one point, they had Bruce Willis do a commercial a few years back. Oh, uh, for, I forgot for, about that. Yeah, they had Bruce Willis. Because I, I remember the Die Hard, that was the big one. Tom, that was the big one. That was the one who bought the most time on sports shows and all that stuff. Die Hard. And then I kept thinking, I remember after the movie came out, I'm like, why don't they grab, grab Bruce Willis, you know, to be, to be like a celebrity uh, uh, spokesperson for Die Hard. And then they did, you know, uh, many years later. And I think for only a few years, he did uh, some Die Hard battery commercials as John McClane, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah. Interesting. But yeah, to see, your point, I don't see battery commercials on TV at all. True. It's very yeah. true. I just don't. And they used to be every, every, everywhere. They were everywhere. Print ads everywhere. I bet in a I, lot of the, I bet in a lot of the car periodicals and magazines that you have uh, stashed away in the office. I bet there are diehard and uh, interstate battery ads everywhere in them. Yeah. The other part of that too is I think people don't do that themselves very much anymore. Uh, it's not an especially difficult thing to do, but it involves having a set of tools. And I bet people are just less prepared and willing and able to do that. Also, you can now go to any parts store like like AutoZone and just get a battery pretty quickly. Yeah. They'll install it for you, and yeah. it's pretty simple. It's crazy. It's crazy how those things have changed. Well, anyway, I'm glad that you survived that weird <laughs> stretch, that weird stretch of tons of snow and tons of cold, and now it's 50, so we're good. We're good. 
So, <laughs> uh, okay. Before we get to what you've been driving, uh, yeah. besides besides this the, the scary the scary stuff in that, uh, tell everybody about Consumer Guide Automotive and how they can listen to the podcast uh, and check out Consumer Guide. Yeah, so check us out at consumerguide.com if you're looking for new car reviews. Also, our 2024 Best Buy picks are there. So if you're looking for a new car, this is a great way to kind of condense your shopping, just to eliminate a bunch of stuff. Uh, we like to think of our Best Buy list as a great place to start your test driving. Also, there's the Consumer Guide uh, uh, Car Stuff podcast. That's weekly. Drops every Tuesday morning very early. Uh, and, and for people who are afraid of it because they think it's going to be all cars, we spend roughly half the time screwing around it's actually yeah. pretty entertaining yeah well i was gonna say you know i'm i haven't driven legally in many years <laughs> i always like to say that because it's true i haven't driven in many years legally but uh you know and i'm not a i'm not a big car guy even though you're like one of my favorite guests that i ever have on this podcast i always have such a great time talking to you and i don't even drive but i and uh, uh, but uh, i was th- this is how much you guys screw around you had me as a guest on the podcast <laughs> That's how much you screw around. So that's <laughs> and, and it was yeah, actually, and it was it was fun. It was so much fun to be on that podcast. I want to get fun back episode, in there. Yeah, get back we out there. Cars and, do it again. and movies. We did. Yeah, it was great, and I want to do that again yeah. at some point. So, but check we'll out Consumer Guide, consumerguide.com. It's Consumer Guide Automotive, um, and you also have the Daily uh, Drive, which is a really fun uh, sort of blog where you get to do a lot of really cool stuff, looking at old ads and talking about old products and things like that. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But it's yeah. a terrific website and a terrific Thank podcast, you. and you should definitely check it out. Okay, uh, what do you? What have you been driving lately? What are you driving now? I just got into interesting vehicle because uh, it's it's been it's been delayed and it finally arrived. But I drove the 2024 Cadillac Lyric, which mm. is uh, Cadillac's all new electric vehicle. It's their first electric vehicle. It was supposed to be produced in some numbers in 2023, but software issues slowed things down. Also, General Motors is having a hard time building its own batteries. They got past that and they're starting to build these and they sold a lot of them in December. But it's a mid-sized crossover, very dramatically styled um, and, and shockingly uh, shockingly affordably priced for what it is. But really? I drove the vehicle. For, yeah, yeah. The, the vehicle I drove was a Sport. I'm not a Sport, a Lux, L-U-X. Uh, and that came to uh, 68 grand. Now, oh, that's not bad. It sounds I mean, it's like not, a lot of money. For a, for a Cadillac, though, I mean, you know. But it's a Cadillac, and it's an electric Cadillac. Yeah. Um, and, and under 70 is an awfully good deal for that. But I drove the yeah. vehicle from Chicago um, up to Milwaukee for uh, for Christmas, got the whole family in there. Had some problems charging that were not the car's fault. That was the fault of the electrified yeah. network, which yeah. is brutally bad. Uh, yeah. What a, a strikingly nice car. Modern design, looks clean inside, very quick. Uh, fun to drive, very quiet on the highway. Uh, it's an impressive. If this is the way luxury uh, EVs are going to go, where things are good. Wow, that's a great review. That's a great review. So it was fun to drive that one then. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Okay, all right. And uh, what else have you been driving lately? Anything else in the in the past month? I was startled. I was startled by the uh, Nissan 2024 Nissan Sentra. Um, which is roughly the size of a Honda Civic, and that's the cars, you know, one of the cars it competes with. But it's been freshened this year, and the interior has been upgraded dramatically, so it's very nice to be in. But the thing that's killing me is I drove an SR, top trim level, most expensive version, came to twenty-seven grand on the sticker, and I'm like, wow, this is 
a really good car for first-time buyers. It, it, it's more refined than anyone would expect. It's reasonably fun to drive. Nice interior, super easy on the gas. Uh, and, and a car that kind of was off my radar, um, but they have they have definitely upgraded that. It's a lot more refined than oh. it used to be. Okay. All right, great. Are you looking forward to driving anything else? How often, uh, how, how, how soon, how much ahead of time do you know what you're going to be driving next? Just just as we were going on air, I got a list from one of the car distributors. So I've got my cars now through March scheduled. Are you looking forward to anything uh, specifically that you that you that you're interested in driving or, or can't wait to drive? Yeah, there's a car right now that is understood to be so good you can't get one, unfortunately, and that is the Toyota Rav4 Prime, which is the plug-in hybrid version of the Rav4. Mm-hmm. And Rav4 was one of those vehicles that no one could get during the chip shortage and during the supply chain oh, issue right. period. Right. But the the Prime, the hybrid, the plug-in hybrid version has been especially difficult to get, and I've got one of those scheduled. I have not driven one yet, and and they're very quick. It's funny that the, the plug-in hybrid would be the performance version of that lineup, but it really is. Yeah. Uh, but it's supposed to be good in every way, and I'm dying to drive that because I'm behind the eight ball on that one. Okay. Well, that'll be fun then. Uh, very very cool. All right, well, let's get into some of the stuff that uh, you've been covering at uh, Consumer Guide Automotive. Now, you mentioned that you uh, were driving that uh, that uh, that the Cadillac, um, the EV, up uh-huh. to Milwaukee and back, and you had some charging issues, but it wasn't the car's fault. It was the station's fault. Well, Tesla uh, made some, well, I mean, made national news um, because, you know, as we mentioned uh, right at the top of the uh, at the top of the segment here, we had some crazy weather here in Chicago where we got a ton of snow, and then we got some very, very cold sub-zero temperatures for a bunch of days straight. And uh, the Tesla charging, as you described it in an article, the Tesla charging apocalypse. <laughs> and I did see news stories about it. I read all about it. I saw it on the Internet. I saw it on television. What exactly happened and what was specific to Tesla about this, this charging issue that happened during this crazy weather? Yeah, so to clear one thing up right up front, it does not seem like the chargers failed. The chargers themselves were fine. Okay. And, a th- and the thing to remember about Tesla and chargers is that Tesla has charging stations in northern Minnesota, in Canada, and, and in Sweden. You know, they, they're, in, they're in cold places, and they always seem to work. So the cold we had here that day, extreme for Chicago, more normal in other places, and cars charge just fine. So... What happened is curious and interesting, but Fox 32 News locally uh, covered this story, and the story is accurate to the degree covered it. Cars were going to different charging stations, Tesla charging stations in Chicago, and not being able to charge. And these were all Teslas. And, and they were being parked and stuck, and it was brutal. But one of the, one of the locations where it was worst was um, in Rosemont. Right. And, and this is interesting for a bunch of reasons. So there's some, some speculation here and some fact, but I think we all know what really happened if we look into this. And what happened was it was extremely cold for Chicago. And, and people were coming to the charging stations who had never used a charging station before because they had never had their batteries depleted by the cold this much before. They got usually it. normally charge at home. But they, it got cold and they got there. And, and the problem was that... Tesla ownership has expanded a lot in the last two, three years, and there's a lot of people who have never seen cold before, but these people aren't Tesla fans, and they're not Tesla loyalists and, or fanboys, and they don't know their cars as well, and they don't know about something called preconditioning. Okay, yeah. And preconditioning is when you drive, 
your battery will actually be heated up to a temperature that makes it uh, best able to accept a charge. Now, I described something in the story called the, the O'Hare factor, and this is interesting because it seems like a lot of Teslas came from O'Hare. People flew back into town. They were probably someplace warm, like, I don't know, Barbados. And then they come to Chicago, <laughs> and their car's been sitting in double-digit negative temperatures for a while, and their battery is very close to depleted because of this. They probably didn't leave it there with a full charge. It got worse. And so they just headed to the first charging station they could find. But their battery is ice cold, and they're not preconditioning, which the car will take of itself, take care of mm. itself. Mm. If there's enough power, this gets complicated. Um, and they would drive to the, to the chargers, and the chargers would spend the first amount of time they would plug in, it would work, they would connect, but the charger had to bring the battery up to temperature before it could charge it. And that wasn't happening because oh. it was so cold, the batteries oh, were so depleted, man. and yeah. people thought that nothing was happening or that their charges were broken. Not the case. And it was just a brutal situation, and people were abandoning their cars. I saw that on TV. Crazy. Yeah. Good day for Uber. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. All right. So, so do 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 now the people who abandon their cars? Do they ultimately realize what went wrong? Do people know? Uh, you know, did, I mean, they know. They know now, correct? I mean, that this is. I, I have I have no idea if they know. They should know. They should have looked into this a little bit. The preconditioning thing is super interesting too, because if you reserve a Tesla charger, which you can do through your car or through the app, it will precondition your battery based on the time it thinks you're going to make it to the charger. So for a lot of people, oh, wow. who, do, who do this by the numbers, they never run into this issue. But these these the people who got stuck were people who were startled by the cold and don't know their cars very well. Yeah. Wow. Well, that was. I mean, it, it it did. I mean, and obviously your your uh, your headline, the Tesla charging apocalypse. Well, that's what everybody thought it was. At least the TV reports that I saw. Yeah. I mean, people were like, "Oh, the cars are black," and then it was just like a huge and and they really really pushed Tesla's name. Um, they they did, and and it's funny too because the story seemed to name just two stations or three stations in the Chicago area. The others worked fine. I think there's a dozen or fourteen Tesla charging stations. Yeah. The others worked, so other people weren't running into this situation. It was very spe situation specific. It was yeah. very situational, well, and it's also not news if it's not bad. You know what I mean? Uh, right. You know what I mean? It's bad. <laughs> like, oh, it's a disaster. Nobody will ever be able to charge Teslas ever again if it gets below 40 degrees. You know, like, that's the way that that's the that's the angle they're going to take because it's the news, you know? So, yeah. You know. And, and the original Fox 32 news story, you can, anyone, anyone can watch this. It's only two minutes long. Uh, it's on YouTube. Yeah. Didn't really blame Tesla exactly. It just sort of listed the problems. So it right. was obviously it was it was, you know, produced for high drama, yeah. but mm -hmm. it wasn't factually wrong. Right. Well, I mean, you know, whenever we get hit with any kind of weird weather, yeah. uh, the angle that you want to take on your local news is the worst. You know, yeah, like if death, it, oh, you know, death like, is yeah, imminent. Yeah, yeah, death is in. Oh, it's raining. Oh my God, there's 47 inches of rain and blah blah blah. They'll find they'll find the spot that's the worst hit. They'll send somebody out in the rain and the snow. You know, uh, and then they'll talk about how horrible it is, and you know, and and and. You know, amplify that a little bit more than they need to. But uh, so the Tesla charging apocalypse—it's passed now. Yeah, it is, and and actually, nothing really wrong happened. <laughs> That's right. The that's the thing, right? Okay. That's the thing. Nothing needs yeah. to be fixed. Some owners need to probably, you know, learn a little bit more about their cars. Right. That's it. Learn a little bit more. Read. Why don't you yeah. learn? All right. Uh, you know, let's let's segue into another Tesla. Tesla predictions: what to watch in twenty twenty four. This is the thing that you wrote. Uh, as part of uh, Consumer Guide's Daily Drive. What are we talking about here, Tesla predictions in particular? 
Uh, two things. I've got two big things. There's a lot of stuff I wrote about, but two that I'm pretty sure about. And one yeah. of them is that Tesla quality ratings, to, to the extent that there are those, because Tesla doesn't cooperate in these things, um, are going to plummet this year. And, and the reason for that is not because I believe the quality of the vehicles is going to change, but as we mentioned a moment ago, a lot of Tesla owners from the last two or three years are just consumers. They're regular consumers that are buying Teslas as regular cars, and they're not fans of the brand, and they don't love the brand, and they're not going to protect the brand. And that's been a problem. There's been a lot of quality issues with Teslas over the years, having to do yeah. with scratched paint and weird software glitches and things like this. But the Teslarati, as they're often referred to, don't report these problems. So Teslas come off looking <laughs> in, in quality surveys as better vehicles than they probably are. That's right. going to change now because so many people bought Teslas in the last couple of years, especially recently because they've been cutting their prices. And these are just regular off-the-street automotive consumers who have no interest in protecting Tesla as a brand. So we're going to just see more accurate reporting, oh, which is going to bring those numbers down. I see. I see. So the, the people who uh, who were part of the apocalypse, they're the ones buying the cars yep. now. Yeah. Same okay. guys. And they're mad. Those guys are mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's a, so. And, and I'm looking at this article, uh, the Cybertruck, which we talked about before. Uh-huh. Uh, boy, that ad is something, isn't it? That, <laughs> yes, it's insane. Everything about it is insane. I don't even yeah. know how to look at it. I don't even know what it is, honestly. I'm looking no one at, is going I, to use this as a pickup truck. No, I'm looking at this thing. I don't, and it, and and if it had three wheels on top of each other, it would be the vehicle from Damnation Alley. It, <laughs> yes, it would. <laughs> so, and then wow. I'd have to buy it. <laughs> By the way, my girlfriend uh, became obsessed with Damnation Alley, like she had never seen Good. it before. That's and we watched it. She's like, "This is the coolest thing." It's, it, she's like, "We both obviously know it's a very stupid film." But right. she became she became completely mesmerized by it, and especially the vehicle. She's like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I'm like, yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> so yeah, the the vehicle's cool, and George Papard is in it. I mean, yeah. what else? What else do you need? Giant There's... giant cockroaches, uh, you know, running around. It's and Jackie Earl Haley on a motorcycle, and Jan Michael Vincent's in it. So uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, but if you want to recreate it, get yourself a cy- get yourself a Tesla Cybertruck, and uh, <laughs> you can. <laughs> So, uh, so Tesla making the news here in a couple of big stories. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go back in time. Okay. Um, uh, we love to talk about your old car ads. You love to show them and write about them. Um, and I love your description of this and the note that you sent me because this is the 1982 Cadillac Cimarron. Am I pronouncing that correct? Yep. Uh, favorite car ads from 1982, the Cadillac Cimarron. And I love this. This is, this is the best. Uh, your description of this, and I can't wait to hear your, your details and talk about the, the piece itself that people can check out. But your description in the email that you sent me was, a terrible car and a totally BS ad. <laughs> <laughs> Cutting right to the chase. Yeah. Right to the chase. So let's talk about this terrible car and this BS ad, the 1982 Cadillac Cimarron. For, for reasons that are unclear to marketers now, looking back, General Motors started to refer to its vehicles by the, by the architecture they were on or the chassis. And people might remember the X cars of 1980. They included the Citation. Uh, and, and, 
and the citation there was like four x cars and this is something that came to be known as badge engineering where the cars are basically identical but there'd be a chevy and a buick and a pontiac and an oldsmobile version of every one of them right well for 1982 two years later they came out with the j cars and they advertised them the word j car actually showed up in advertising which was very weird yeah. um I think you'd want to differentiate your cars, not not try to make them seem more similar. But right. the J cars were impressive for a number of reasons, and one of them was that all five GM brands got a J car. So you had the Chevy Cavalier, the Buick Skylark, the Oldsmobile, what was it, Forenza, and the Pontiac, uh, then J2000. So they even got J in the name. <laughs> but but strangely, the brand that they used to kind of isolate from this stuff, Cadillac, also got a J car. <laughs> and, and and the thing about the J cars is that they were they were definitely built to a price and and they were they had cheap interiors and kind of ratty engines that made a lot of noise and didn't deliver a lot of power and for whatever reason people thought that people at General Motors thought that Cadillac needed an entry level car and it was going to be a version of the J car and that was the Cimarron. <laughs> okay. And, there's a lot of stuff that was wrong with the Cimarron. <laughs> I know. I, I'm looking at the article right now. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of stuff. Yeah. And one of them was the price. The Cimarron came in at about fifteen grand, which was about twice as much as the Chevy version of the car, which is absolutely absurd, but only three grand less than a full-size V8-powered DeVille. So there's <laughs> just no reason to buy this damn thing. And and But they sold it, and... and for whatever reason, this economy car with a lot of chrome on it, right? You got a, a very chromey Cadillac looking grill, and that's about everything about the car that was Cadillac. It had some <laughs> leather, you know, it had standard air conditioning, whatever. Uh, but but all stuff you could do to the other cars. But they put out this this ad that compared it to the Audi 5000, the BMW 320i, the Volvo GLI, which is the Volvo we all know and love, uh, usually called the 240 and the yeah. Saab 9000 S sedan. Those are good cars. <laughs> uh, the Cimarron, not so much. Yeah, and they put together this this unbelievable chart that is is everyone who was involved in this chart is now burning in hell. It is <laughs> it is it is the most unreasonable comparison of cars ever. And it lists the things that the Cimarron has that are either not available or not standard on the other cars, including such absurdities as front-wheel drive, which is not a good thing if you're trying to sell a sports car, right? Rear drive is, right. is kind of the way to go. And the right. BMW 320, always famous for being rear drive. The Volvo was rear drive. But if you go down this list, there's things like a tachometer. Yeah. <laughs> Like it's a gauge. It's a single gauge. Right. You should have that. <laughs> Power assisted rack and pinion steering. Well, every car that was small in those days had rack and pinion steering. Right. Aluminum wheels. Well, that's a two hundred buck option. Glad, glad did you have it. Air conditioning. Yeah. Yeah. AM FM stereo. Yeah. <laughs> I like well, my the... favorite. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, also they list four-speed manual transmission, including <laughs> overdrive. All the other cars had five speeds. It was like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, this is, the, and you have the whole thing. You have the, the list here, the chart listed. It's hilarious. And also leather-wrapped steering wheel. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> it's got a leather-wrapped steering wheel, honey. Let's get that car. Oh, and man. also leather seating area. Right. <laughs> American car makers use the word leather. <laughs> uh, and it, it, it might just mean that the, the top of the seat bottom was leather. Like yeah. a lot of vinyl that looked like leather and some leather. 
you know, it just. And and uh, how did this car? How did this car sell? How long did it last? Uh, what's the history of the of the of the '82 Cadillac Cimarron? It only went a few years because uh, Cadillac was openly mocked for building this, and no one took it very seriously. Interestingly, towards the end of its run. They didn't raise the price at all. They stuffed a V6 under the hood, and you get a proper five-speed manual. And it, and it kind of became a deal um, as kind of a sporty version of that car. This is towards the end of its run. And, and no one bought that many of them. They sold way better than they should have because they were Cadillacs and because General Motors just used to sell a lot of everything. Yeah. Uh, but nowhere near the volume that, like, the Chevy version, the Cavalier, sold. The Cavalier was a three or 400,000-unit vehicle. And I think they would do fifty or 60,000 Cimarron's. Uh, which is way too many. Yeah. Uh, but it, it sold in some volume, and I guess it gave dealers something to sell, but it really hurt the brand. Oh, God. And what you, you talk about the sins of omission. What were some of the things that they... Uh, well, like this chart, for example. Yeah. And a chart like this, you would normally want to include something like, I don't know, the engine and, and, <laughs> and horsepower. And the engine in this was this crappy carbureted 1.8 liter engine. All the other cars were fuel injected. Uh, and that engine didn't like to rev. It was, and it was overhead valve, which was really old school technology. And there was like nothing good about this car. And, yeah. and, and to try to pretend like just to select, even the stuff that they selectively put on this list is <laughs> yeah. not impressive. Right, that's hilarious. That is hilarious, 1982. All right, favorite car ads. You got to love looking through those uh, those things. How often do you find yourself just sifting through all this stuff and finding old things? I mean, this must be a daily thing for you to find all this really cool crap, right? I have a list of things like like I want to write about that I haven't gotten to yet. Yeah, I but bet. I love the old ads. And that, if I have a deadline coming, uh, that's when I'll start looking for ads and realizing, oh crap, I'm not going to bed tonight. <laughs> I gotcha. I understand. Well, uh, we have a forgotten concept that you talk about here. Oh, yeah. The, the Toyota Pod. Now, does this involve Invasion of the Body Snatchers at all? or uh, <laughs> that's Because when I think Pod, I think Invasion of the Body Snatchers immediately. But I'm looking at this thing. Oh, my God. Uh, try to, try to explain. I mean, people have to see the picture. By the way, you need to go to Consumer Guide uh, Automotive and check this out. The Toyota Pod Forgotten Concept just to see the pictures and just to see the model, the way the model is dressed, because it's like Logan's Run. It looks like something... <laughs> It does. <laughs> Looks like she's about to run through Woodfield in Logan's Mall at Logan's uh, run. Um, but yeah, the Toyota Pod. What the hell is that? Yeah, so concept cars designed for for Asian audiences tend to be a little bit different than they are for Americans, especially Japanese vehicles. And the Pod appeared at the Tokyo Motor Show back in two thousand and one. And it's one of these things where it's more about mobility than it is automotive transportation. So. If you read this description fully, there's no real discussion about engines or tires or transmissions. It's really about the environment in the car. And and the Pod is a really interesting car because it's very small yeah. uh, externally. And that you want that in, in Japan, right? Small cars sell better because it's expensive to even find a parking space for your vehicle. The culture is different over there. Yeah, yeah. So this car is all about interior design and trying to fit a lot into a little space. And it has center opening doors that open a little bit like, you know, L-train right. doors, right? So right. there's a big entrance. But it's it's about the interior, and it's about this crazy system that monitors the driver. So the inside, you've got four bar stool sort of seats that swivel to the doors. And this is 2001, so this is a bit predictive. And every seat has access to a touchscreen situation. It looks a little bit like a like an iPad or something like that. 
Yeah. And they tried to and didn't fully embrace the idea of an Alexa-like system where you could order or buy stuff on, online. And none of, you wouldn't do that anymore, right? You can get Alexa in your car and just access Alexa. Your right. car wouldn't really be part of that process. And that wasn't something that was fully understood right. back in 2001. So the car was somehow helping you place orders for things, though fulfillment wasn't clear. But the crazy thing about this car, and it gets crazier, they partnered with Sony for some reason to build this car. And, and the car would attempt to interpret or understand the driver's mood using... <laughs> using a heartbeat monitor and other sensors that they're not clear on. And the driver's mood would be displayed outside the car via LED lights that changed colors. <laughs> so what, if you were mad, would the car turn red? What would it... Uh... I think so. There was, I've got pictures here. There was a red light, like an orange light, and, and a blue light. So I guess if in blue, you were in like a cool, happy mood. And... Yeah. Too long. If you were in red mode, maybe you shouldn't be driving. Maybe pull yeah. over so, for a while. So, 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 like your your the the i the, the the Toyota. I was gonna say iPod. The, the Toyota pod is like let's say it's blue, but then you cut them off. Suddenly it turns red, right? Like I, if you, I'm, I'm guessing so. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty amazing. That is that is pretty amazing. And now you know, like that was 2001, but you know, like people are walking around, you know, with phones and watch. My girlfriend has a watch that keeps like her steps and the heartbeat and all that yeah. shit you know and i don't do any of that but like that that kind of like it that is what that is it like keeps track of your breathing and your heart and your steps and stuff like that so they were way ahead of the game it was 24 years ago you know 23 years ago they were they almost had the technology before they had an understanding of what that product <laughs> right right yeah. <laughs> that's funny but i love the idea that the car is blue you're like oh this guy's in a good mood then you cut him off you know, or slam on the brakes, and then the car turns red. And then you go, uh-oh, I better get the hell out of here. You know, like... I'm, I'm guessing if you're like a prankster, you'd want to try to change the color. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a jackass stunt right there, like Johnny Knoxville and those guys. <laughs> I could see them. Let's go out and get a Toyota pod and see how many colors we can do, we can mess with. That's fantastic. Uh, but yeah, it's and, and I love that the description is subcompact mobility lounge. Like, yeah, like let's sit in the lounge. And I am looking at the interior. It's pretty, it's very weirdly futuristic and like, I guess, kind of like bar-like, you know? Yeah, and one of the design things that was, was common in those days, and it really wouldn't work today with crash, uh, with crash test. Uh, yeah. Uh, build, um, just building a car for crash um, survivability yeah. is that these seats are designed to be especially wispy is not the right word but light looking they yeah. create the sense of space because there's not a lot of mass to the seats themselves and then the rear seats are actually elevated a few inches to create what they call theater style seating right. so that people in back feel less hemmed in it's these are interesting things that have been employed since yeah uh, i mean this is predictive of some stuff it's wacky as hell but yeah but they're not tired entirely off track yeah yeah and then i love that the 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 the, the pitch was it it knows how you feel <laughs> <laughs> so ai man I'm, I'm telling you this yeah. is way ahead of its time because we got that now we got the creepy world of ai i mean it's only a matter of time before terminator 2 comes true so uh we'll see what happens anyway all right and, so and, the, the, and this car will be a part of that that'll be the toyota pod is going to make a huge comeback i'm telling you right now i can see it right <laughs> now all right it's a forgotten concept that you should check out a consumer guide automotive that's the toyota pod Okay. Uh, Tom watches a lot of TV, uh, specifically uh, older television, and even more specifically, usually Westerns. 
And one of the things that you do on your Facebook page and on social media is a thing called hashtag Star Spotter, yeah. where you will you will watch an old TV show, usually a Western, and take a screenshot of it to the chagrin of your wife, and then um, post that star or that future star on uh, on the internet for all of us. Tell, tell me a little bit about some of the people that you spotted for your Star Spotter in February. I had a good month. I've had some weak months recently, but great stuff on Gunsmoke. I saw Carol O'Connor. I, I, you don't see that guy usually uh, on stuff before, all in the family. But Carol O'Connor on Gunsmoke. Yeah. Uh, as a as a down on his luck farmer, and he was he's not great. A, he, is he's not a bigot? Is he? Uh, he's not. No, no. Not. No. <laughs> not obviously. He no, might okay. be. Okay. <laughs> okay. But it was you said it was a bummer of an episode, so it was sad. Uh, oh, it was so sad. This guy was down in his luck, wouldn't accept charity, and turned to crime to try to cover his bills. Oh. And uh, yeah, oh. it's ugly, and it ends ugly. Uh, oh. But he he's good at it. He, yeah, Carol O'Connor, terrific. Yeah. He was a terrific actor. Carol O'Connor was a terrific actor. He really was, man. Um, obviously, we know him mostly as Archie Bunker. But that guy, if you look back at some of the movies he was in, some of the other TV that he did, he did great stuff. He was a terrific actor. So Carol yeah. O'Connor on Gunsmoke. All right, all right, yeah. uh, and more Gunsmoke. Yeah, not a good actor, uh, Alan Hale. <laughs> uh, dissing the skipper, are we? Okay. Yeah, I am. Yeah, <laughs> Alan Hale, the skipper on Gunsmoke, and uh. Uh, maybe true, maybe true to form. He plays a retired boxer, and and he's got a pocket full of money. He comes to to uh, Dodge, and he wants to buy the Long Branch out from under Miss Kitty. No, and she's having none of it, and, oh. and not not surprisingly, he's really obnoxious. Oh no, kidding. Which is kind of the whole point of the episode. It doesn't go anywhere. That's too bad. I was just, I would be hoping, if I were watching that, I would hope for Jim Backus to show up and start screaming at him. That would have been, <laughs> would have been great. Okay, now the next one, this is a fascinating one. And I think we're going to have, did you look up the history on this? Did you look up the timeline? Tell everybody about what, this one that you captured. I did. And, and to, it's Darren McGavin, yeah. whom we all know and love, and France Nguyen, which everyone might not know, but she was a Vietnam, Vietnamese actress. She's gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, but she showed up in a lot of stuff playing different Asian roles back in the 60s. But they kiss. Yeah. Derek Evan and Francis Nguyen on, on Gunsmoke, they kiss. And famously, the, in 1968, uh, William Shatner and, and, and Michelle uh, Nichols yeah. kiss on Star Trek in right. 68. And that's understood to be the first interracial case on TV. But this was two years earlier. Yeah. So unless we're talking specifically about a black-white kiss, right, right, this might be the first interracial. That's kiss interesting, on TV. and you and you captured it, man. And it, it was on Star Spotter. You captured it. So there, there it is. Darren McGavin and France uh, and France Newman from uh, Gunsmoke. Yeah, uh, and yeah. also a great episode. Darren okay. McGavin's great. Uh, he's the best. He was the best. Darren McGavin was the best. I just I was watching, uh, you know, uh, 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 Night Stalker, uh-huh. uh, the TV series, the the Kolchak. Uh, TV series and uh, that was such a great series and you know those movies were great he was the best I mean he was always good Night Stalker is worth people's time that is a absolutely good show. great show and uh, both of those TV movies Night Stalker Night Strangler both great all right uh more Gunsmoke wow here's a big one too yeah John Voight on Gunsmoke yeah yeah not a great episode John Voight not really playing within his comfort zone is playing a Swedish immigrant <laughs> uh, working his way west with his dad, they stop and dodge and get into trouble. Yeah, uh, and and yeah, John, John Voight is a Swedish guy. Yeah, uh, it's worth watching just because it happened. But yeah, yeah. no, no Emmy Award nominations okay. here. Yeah, all right. Buddy Hackett on Quincy, and he played a comic. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> not a lot of surprises here. This right. is this is a Quincy episode that is basically about um, uh, Legionnaire's disease. Oh uh, no. <laughs> it's it's confusing as hell. But Buddy Hackett was not supposed to leave the uh, the hotel, but he tried to leave the hotel. Uh, oh. I don't know. I don't know. Oh. It's a messy episode. I can't okay. recommend it. And then your uh, your mystery show was ho- the Hotel Baltimore, which was a Norman Lear production that lasted a, like a half a season or twelve episodes or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember commercials for this thing. The Hot L yeah. was supposed to be hotel, but the E in the light on the hotel had was burnt burnt out. out. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The Hot L. Uh, yeah. There it is. So great stuff. Great stuff. All right. Keep watching TV, and uh, and I will. Uh, we'll talk about the. I'm going to the uh, to the the next time we speak yeah. in March. Both of us will have made it to the auto show. I'm actually going yep, to the first yep. my first auto show in many years, and I'm looking forward to it. So we'll talk we'll about enjoy that. Enjoy that. Thanks, man. And uh, we'll talk to you in March, Tom. Sounds good. Thanks, All Nick. right, everybody check out Consumer Guide Automotive. That's Tom Appel. He's the best. And thank you for listening. And I want to thank uh, Herb Weisbaum, and I want to thank you. It's For the People. We'll do it again at the beginning of next month. And coming up on the next uh, episode, man, I am so excited to be reunited with my old friend, Nell Minow. Nell Minow, the movie mom. I haven't talked to her in years, and I can't wait to get her on. We finally figured out the schedules, and we're going to talk movies and all kinds of stuff and do a lot of catching up. She is wonderful. Nell Minow is going to join me on the next episode. And we want you to be a part of the episodes as well. Be a sponsor. Sales at RadioMisfits.com. Drop us a line. You can also uh, drop us a voicemail message anytime you want, 773-417-6948. Email us at NickDPodcast at gmail.com. My thanks to Jason Skaggs for all the music and the sounds. My thanks to Ed Silla and everybody at Radio Misfits. Take the time to share, rate, and review us on every platform, and we'll see you next time on the Nick D Podcast.